Listener Production. What would happen if GPS around the world suddenly crashed? I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing. It's hard to imagine getting anywhere today without a maps application on your phone or some sort of GPS device in your car. We just don't whip out those road directory books like we used to. But like every technology, GPS isn't perfect. It's vulnerable to attack and breaking down. Today, I chat to Cosmos Magazine journalist Jacinta Bola about navigating the world through GPS and what the world would look like if it randomly went dark. So Jacinta, it's easy to think that GPS would be a very complicated system connecting hundreds of satellites, but actually it's much fewer than that. Yeah, like a lot fewer than that. So all GPS actually comes from a group of just 31 satellites above the planet. It's much less than a lot of people may think. These satellites were first launched back in 1978. They're around 20,000 kilometers above the planet, and they're positioned in a medium Earth orbit. They're positioned here for a pretty specific reason. They want to be able to see enough of Earth so you don't need hundreds of them. Mm -hmm. But you don't want it too high that the radio waves can't reach us back here on Earth. And it's important to mention radio waves because that's what these satellites use to beam down their data. Radio waves are also used by televisions, radios, Wi-Fi, phones. There's lots of radio waves happening all around the place. Another interesting point is that GPS, as we use it today, wasn't necessarily its original purpose. Initially, it was used only by the military. Okay, so what exactly was it used for in the military? It was created by the U.S. Department of Defense, and it was used mainly for keeping tabs on the locations of things. The first use for it was monitoring submarines with military missiles aboard. You don't want to lose them. GPS started as a defense thing, but over time, more and more civilians started to use it. Car companies realized there were huge opportunities to make money by using GPS as a navigation tool. But there was an issue here. So because GPS was used for military purposes, they actually had set a bit of a scrambling thing going on. And the GPS was about 100 meters off unless you had a device to be able to unscramble it. Right. What the companies ended up doing was creating like towers, kind of like a phone tower. You could get the GPS through this tower, fix the 100 meter problem, and then give it to everybody. That's when we started to see a lot more of these GPS tools being used. You know, like your little TomToms back Mm -hmm. in the day, little navigation systems. Not back in the day. I think my dad still has a (laughs) TomTom. I love that for him. That's great. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, now we're using our watches, for example, to find out where we are at any point on the earth, which is pretty cool. And give us a GPS 101, Jacinta. How exactly does it work? One of the researchers I spoke to when writing this story on GPS for Cosmos magazine gave a really good description of it. Think of it this way. GPS is a bit like a bunch of people shouting at you. Okay, well, that sounds unpleasant, Jacinta. Do you want to kind of sort of expand (laughs) on that thought? So, for example, Sophie, you shout at me and I know exactly where you are and what time you shouted. Okay, good. I can work out how far away I am from you. And so let's say that's four metres, but I don't know which direction you're in. So there's a circle of where you could be, 
a radius of shouting Sophie. Yes. If we have a second person who also shouted, I can then do an intersection of two circles. You're sort of triangulating. Exactly. What happens is that your watch or phone or whatever it is will listen out for as many GPS signals as they can find. And once they've clocked at least four of them, it can give a pretty good estimate of where in the world you're located. That's how it tells exactly where you are. It's just circles and people shouting. The majority of the Western world knows of this tool as GPS, but it's actually not the only navigation satellite system out there. Oh, what else do we have, Jacinta? The US actually owns GPS. The military still looks after it. And Russia has their own system called GLONASS, and this was developed at the same time as GPS. You can imagine the Cold War, all this stuff going on, that's why. China and the European Union also have their own versions, which work in very similar ways. These were made after the Cold War in the 2000s when they realized that they want to have systems that aren't controlled by the US military. Sure. All of these different GPS systems are collectively known as the Global Navigation Satellite Systems, or GNSS. Just a note that I've been using GPS specifically for the American system. Um, but from now on, because we all know it as GPS, I'm going to be calling the Global Navigation Satellite Systems GPS, just so we all understand what we're talking about. So they all interact with each other and overlap. So your devices can pull from whichever system is most available or working the best at any given time. Your watch, for example, can switch between the GPS system to GLONASS or Galileo, that's the European one, and you wouldn't even notice it. As well as providing the longitudinal latitude or altitude of a location, GPS provides another critical thing too, time. And interestingly, the time aspect is probably even more crucial than positioning. Oh, intriguing, Jacinta. What do you mean by that? Basically, GPS can give us a super, super accurate time down to the nanosecond. So on each GPS satellite, there are what are called atomic clocks. And these provide really, really precise time data to within a hundred billionth of a second. Companies around the world use this precise time from GPS satellites to timestamp business transactions. Things like banks and the stock market, but also communication systems and power grids. If we're thinking of stocks as an example, there's only a certain amount of stocks at a certain price. And then once you've reached that price limit, you have to put it at a different price, right? Mm -hmm. But how do you tell who in the world goes first with the lower price or the higher price? So what you can do is use these very, very specific atomic clocks to be able to work out the exact little tiny time difference and sell or buy the shares at the specific price. Okay, I want to circle back to the question that we posed at the very beginning of this episode, Jacinta. Because we've become increasingly reliant on GPS technology, what would happen if all GPS went down? It could happen. The US government owns the GPS system and hypothetically, they are perfectly within their rights to switch it off at any time. However, the chances they would do that or that it could go down altogether are unlikely. And there are some fail-safes around these systems too. 
One of them is that if the whole thing were to go down, the whole system wouldn't just collapse instantaneously. Instead of a thousand people being able to make a call at the same time, this would drop to a hundred people and then 10 people. So it's a steady degradation instead of a automatic switch off. Also, there are more than the number of satellites that are needed to get the system to work. So multiple satellites from multiple different satellite systems would need to fail all at the same time for things to get really dicey. But while there are fail-saves, there are a few things that could still go wrong. Okay, let's go through these. In mid-April, a satellite called Inmarsat I4F1 went down for 12 hours after losing power. This is a satellite which enhances GPS to accuracies of just a few centimetres. And it's like one of those stations that we mentioned earlier that worked to fix the 100-metre error in the 90s. But the 12-hour downtime severely affected, now get this, farm equipment. Farm equipment? Yeah. Just into how? (laughs) So I don't know if you know this, but tractors are very high-tech these days. Farmers can't use regular GPS because they need an accuracy of centimetres or millimetres to plant in certain areas. You need to use tractors that have these really precise ability to put your field seeds down in certain areas. Sure. So the tractors are using GPS to do this, but they need in Marsat to be able to get to those really specific accuracies. Mm -hmm. But when Inmarsat went down, you can't use the tractor. All the tractors have this new tech. Apparently, the farm guys were like doing this by hand, which I could imagine would be not much fun to do. No. Another issue that GPS can run into is what's known as jamming. So this refers to the signal being interfered with. This happens thanks to GPS jammers. They're little transmitter devices that conceal one's location by sending radio signals with the same frequency as a GPS device, basically drowning out the signal. Sometimes this can happen accidentally, but usually these days it's because someone has purchased a jammer. Sometimes people do this to mess with military systems or because they just think it'll make them more secure, meaning they think that no one will be able to track them, but it won't. So Jacinta, this is GPS we're using here on the ground on planet Earth. But I do want to ask, these satellites are in medium Earth orbit, so 20,000 kilometers above our heads. Could they do the same thing for us and help us find our way around space? Oh, you're onto something here, Soph. I like it. We could take the idea of GPS, but then expand it out so we could do it anywhere we wanted in space. Currently, there are satellites transmitting their signal down to us, but there's a space object which also does this. They're called pulsars. There's some research going on trying to use these pulsars as a type of space GPS. You can listen out for the signals, and because you know how far away they are and how often they pulse, you can create a type of GPS system for space. However, at this point, it is not going to replace your Google Maps. Even with the best techniques, there's still a discrepancy of a few kilometres. So, you know, we're talking even worse than the 100 metre thing. (laughs) But I wanted to look at this GPS system especially because it's something that we all really take for granted and it's worth understanding how it works. 
Jacinta Bowler is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Jacinta's reporting at cosmosmagazine.com. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.